life over death. Today's passage talks about doing things with the wrong motive. And Jesus uses an example of paying, of, of paying or giving financially to the needy, giving to the poor. But I, what I want you to think about is something that's quite convicting because I think we've all done it before. Not intentionally, but maybe we make a donation, maybe we buy a piece of a brick and our name is engraved on there. And I don't think Jesus is saying that that is wrong, but he looks into the heart. And I want you to think of what charity means, what a donation is. Anytime we give money, and in our hearts, if we desire to be recognized, appreciated, affirmed, or praised for it, it's not really a donation. It's not really charity. You're basically paying for recognition. You're paying for applause. You're paying for people to recognize you. And so that's a real convicting reality because even though Jesus uses the example of money, when we get to the level of motivation and intention, this applies to anything and everything that we do in the name of Jesus, for God, and in the service of people. This is particularly convicting to people like me today because when we get up here and preach God's word, I mean, everyone's looking at you. It's so easy for us to think, okay, I wonder what they're thinking about what I'm going to say. I wonder at what point are they going to go to their phones. I wonder how long I have to keep their attention. I wonder what's going to buzz in. I think it's, it's convicting for those who stand up here and lead worship and lead music. Because everyone's looking at you, and it's so easy to think about, okay, am I going to sing off tune? Am I going to play the wrong chord? And what are people thinking of me? But even if you're not on a stage, when you're talking about God who sees everything, you're basically living on a stage. A stage where Ephesians says, we who are in Christ are to be God's workmanship. We were created for good works. Right? We were created for good works, which Christ Jesus works in us and through us. And so this morning's passage doesn't say don't give. It doesn't condemn good works. It assumes that every genuine Christ follower is going to be generous, is going to give, and is going to live out good works. But it gets back down to our daily struggle. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Why do we serve God? Why do we do good things? That's what Jesus is going to get at today. So if you have God's word, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Matthew records the words of Jesus. Let me read this to you. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Point number one this morning that we see from the text, point one this morning, is beware of serving God for the praise of man. Beware of serving God for the praise of man. And once again, Jesus' example is going to be money. He's going to be talking about giving. He's going to be talking about generosity. But when you look at verse 1, and when it says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, that's talking about any type of good service. In the name of God. Any type of righteous deed. Now wait a minute. I think there's a little bit of a seeming contradiction here. Because I thought that Matthew 5.16 says something very different. Will you grab your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 5.16? I'll give you a second to do this. Because I want you to see God's word. I want you to be able to understand and explain when the non-Christian challenges you. And says, hey, look, Jesus says here, says this in chapter 5 and chapter 6, he says the exact opposite. Wait a minute, Jesus. I thought in Matthew 5, 16, you said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the one who is in heaven. Now, why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, do you say, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Wait a minute. At one point, you're saying, I ought to perform good works so that others can see my good works. And now you're telling me, don't perform righteous deeds so that other people can see me, but do it all in secret using hyperbolic language to say, don't even let my, right, don't even let my left hand know what my right hand is doing. Jesus, what are you saying? I think this needs to be explained and clarified I think what you see very clear is it's not so much the doing of the good deeds. Because if you are a Christ follower, you're going to be living for Christ. Good deeds are going to come out of you naturally. They ought to. But we're really talking about the object of the praise. In Matthew 5, 16, it's very clear. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the one who is in heaven. The object of the glory is God. When people see what you do, they ought to, it ought to bring them to worship and praise our Heavenly Father. And it is Christ, it is the gospel light flowing in and through you. But in Matthew 6, 1, it's talking about a different type of righteousness. This is beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And the object is to be seen by them. And if you go down... To, to later in verse 2, it, it actually says to be praised by them, to receive the praise of man. And so it's a very different context. In fact, one preacher explains that this phrase 
In the original language, to be seen, it carries the idea of performing in a theater. To be seen is a type of theoretical righteousness. It's a righteousness that's fake. It's a righteousness where you perform. It's a righteousness where your performance, there is a goal. You are motivated to perform in a certain way so that people will praise you. The intention is not to bring worship to God, and that's the difference. One older theologian, A.B. Bruce, A.B. Bruce wrote this. He said, we are to show when tempted to hide, and we are to hide when tempted to show. You see, this whole idea of being salt and light and letting your light shine bright, this is speaking in a context where there's almost a temptation at times, especially when there's persecution and when Christianity is not popular, there is a temptation at times to say, you know what, if I act in a certain way, if I say a certain thing, this person's going to know that I worship Jesus and I'm not going to fit in. Or, or, if I, or if I hold up my character, I'm not going to get ahead in life. You know, I don't know if I want this person to see me as religious. I don't know if I want this person to see me as weird. You know, Christians struggle, and this person, if I tell them I'm a Christian, they're going to say, you're among one of those hypocrites. Or, if I say that I'm a Christian, I don't have enough knowledge to explain it if they ask me questions about what it means to be a Christian. So I'm just going to hide. And in that context, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And so when you are, we are to show our good works when we are tempted to hide our faith. But when we are... when we are, we are to hide our faith in the sense we are to hide behind the glory of God when we are tempted to show and say, look at me, look at how righteous I am, look at how much I know about the Bible, look at how holy I am, look at how much I give to my church, look how generous I am. So whenever we're tempted in that way, and beloved, I put before you today that none of us I'm not saying that any of us walks around thinking that way. I think for many of us in our culture, the temptation is more to say, oh, no, 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 you know, no, don't put the attention on me. No, I don't want the spotlight, right? I, I don't think that's our intention. What I'm trying to say and I put before you is that we will all be tempted. That's the human nature. You know, every single time, I don't post much on social media. I've been told that as a pastor I ought to because People are reading it, and they're getting their ideas, and they're thinking. But every time I click post, I have to be thinking, you know, I'm only posting because I think this post is going to serve someone in the church who's going to read this. Am I posting it because I want them to see me in a certain way? Am I posting this because it's going to be helpful? Or am I I posting this because I want them to see, oh, man, our pastor, you know, he's kind of on top of things. He kind of pays attention to society. He's posting helpful stuff, right? Every time I like a post, I want, you know, am I signing on to something? What am I saying? Or, 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 or if I say something, do I care about the feedback in terms of statistics or how many people like or listen to our YouTube sermons? Why we're, we're always thinking, there's always this motivation. If I write something, is it gonna be, are, are people going to like it? I think it's, it's, it's true for all of us. You know, what are people going to think about me if I do this? Right? And, and I think Jesus is telling his disciples that we ought not to be afraid to be an influence in society, to let people know that we are to be salt and light. But whenever we put ourselves out there, we're 
we're battling with the flesh. And the flesh is that silent voice that comes in and says, yeah, this is what people are going to say about you. Maybe if you do it this way, you get more praise. And, 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 and that is what Jesus is saying, beware of. Right? In Matthew 6, 1, when it says practicing your righteousness, this is a theme that you see throughout Matthew. Where it applies to all of us, but Jesus has a target. His aim are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes. And when you, when you see this word, practicing your righteousness, this phrase, <clears throat> it ties you back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. In Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, he warns. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter heaven. That's a strong saying. And what he's trying to say, he's not trying to say the Pharisees and scribes are righteous. He's saying they practice an external righteousness. And often they practice an external behavior just to be seen and praised by their fellow Jewish people. And Jesus says, if you can't be as good as them, because you look up to them. You look up to them as your spiritual leaders. And most of you wouldn't see yourselves as good as they are. If you can't even meet their standard, you won't make it into heaven. And what Jesus is trying to say, and he's eventually going to expose this, is that, is that if they don't repent, if they don't come to Christ, they're not going to make it, and neither will any of you. And he's saying all good works are marred because all good, good works, even when our intentions are pure, because we're naturally sinful, that flesh creeps in. And this is why it's so important that the gospel needs to be the foundation of all that we do. And Christ needs to be the center and the aim of everything that we do for him. And how convicting for me, because I will confess to you that there's a lot of times that I depend on whatever they call as a spiritual gift, and I'll go to skill and gifting first before I go onto my knees in prayer. I do pray when I realize I don't have enough time in a week. I do pray when I'm realizing, oh man, this person's sick and I can't heal them. That's why it's so easy for me to pray for people who are sick because I know I don't have the power to heal. But when it comes to preparing a sermon, I always have to remind myself, have you prayed? You went to the commentaries. You went to read. You're starting to make that outline. When, at what point in your preparation are you praying? At what point worship leaders, ushers, greeters, people working upstairs, people working in the kitchen, even you coming to church to worship, at what point are you praying? At what point are we starting to lean in to the Spirit's power so that what we do is empowered by the Spirit and not that flesh that so easily overpowers that initial good intention? And that's how crazy it is. The intention can be good. The, the proper actions, we go through all the motions just like the Pharisees do. But somewhere in between, Satan says, I can get this guy or this gal right here. I'm going to trap them, and they're not even going to know that they're doing it for themselves. Beloved, this is so convicting. Jesus gives us two examples. Let's get to it. These two examples, point number two, is we see two examples that warn against hypocritical giving. I want to extend this beyond giving. That when we talk about righteous deeds as the context, we're talking about all godly service, as we've mentioned earlier. But we see two examples of that warn against hypocritical giving in verses 2 to 4. Jesus addresses both. He addresses both when we do good deeds so that others will praise us. And he addresses, I think, what is more serious, which is 
When we do good deeds, we don't want praise from anyone, but we go home and we feel good about ourselves. We feel righteous. In fact, the secular world will tell you, you know, you should do a good thing and you'll feel good about yourself. It builds your self-esteem. Now, I'm not saying that that's bad because some people, that's the psychological kick you need, you know, to, to just, you know, rather than focusing on yourself, focus on others and then you'll feel better about yourself. I understand that. I understand that, that when you're depressed or down, that sometimes you just need to go out there and do something good for someone else. I understand that. Okay? But Jesus is saying something much deeper. He's saying a lot of times we will actually say, I'm pretty good, so I don't really need to desperately go before God right now as if I'm a sinner hanging on to, to his grace by threads. In reality, we know the Bible teaches that God holds on to us. Salvation and sanctification is not by works. It's by the grace of God. We understand that. But where, but where Jesus is trying to get to is that in your heart, there's a secret righteousness where we wake up and we already believe that we're pretty good people. And so he gets at that. So it gets even worse when we already think we're pretty good. And when we do something good, it, it reminds us even more the voice of the serpent saying, you don't. God, you don't need mercy. You don't need grace. You don't need to pray. You're good enough. That's what he's getting at. Because eventually he's going to go to the cross to die for all sinners. And he's going to be the only way to heaven. I want you to see these convicting words. Verse 2 of Matthew 6. It says, thus when you give to the needy. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, this first example of hypocrites in the synagogues and streets is a real example. There were people who gave to the needy, whether in the synagogue or the streets, and they just wanted to be recognized for their gift. Notice it says directly in verse 2, so that. You see, in the Greek, this is a certain type of clause. And this clause tells you the purpose for why they are doing the good deed. It's so that, that they, they may be praised by others. Human praise becomes the goal and aim of their giving. And like our title says, they're basically paying for human praise. It's not a donation. They're paying to be recognized. The word hypocrite in the, hypocrites in the original Greek, it, it defined an actor or an actress who wore a mask in order to exaggerate and over-dramatize the role that they were depicting. So these were specific actors who over-dramatized and, and over-characterized and exaggerated the character they were depicting. And so naturally then, this word hypocrite became a word to describe deception. That's the key, deception. It's deceptive. Hypocrites are deceptive. Augustine said this about hypocrisy. He said, other vices bring forth evil works, but this, referring to hypocrisy, brings forth good works in an evil way. Now, that's pretty convicting because other vices bring forth evil works. It's obvious, right? When someone wants to commit an evil, they're not apologizing for it. But when you do good things, but you bring about it in a deceptive way, a self-serving way, it's evil. It's almost worse, Verse 2 brings us the example of giving to the poor. Now, this was a common practice in Jesus' day. It's called uh, the giving of alms or almsgiving. And so it was similar to our day. Poverty was a reality in Jesus' day. But there was something different in the Roman society that there wasn't 
the same systems that we have in our society of government assistance. So without government assistance, it was up to the community to freely care for the poor among them. And I put it before you today that I actually think that this is what is prescribed in, in the book of Acts. And rather than government assistance, I think people freely giving out of their resources, I actually think that's a better way to go. Okay? I think that's the biblical way. So without government assistance, it was people felt this positive pressure that I ought to be a good person. I ought to do what's right. I, I see my, my fellow man. So I'm not talking about Christian or non-Christian. I'm talking about in Greco-Roman society and even in Judaism. You see a fellow man in your community suffering and you have an extra dollar or, or, or you have a way to care for them because it's part of your virtue. You just do it. And you don't think, oh, I'm going to wait for the Romans to do it. I'm going to wait for the Roman government to kick in. I'm just going to let this guy starve. And so imagine everyone in society giving alms to the poor. And so notice that Jesus, he expects this of his disciples. I want you to see very carefully, he does not say, if you give to the poor, if you give to the needy. He says, when giving to the needy. He says, when you give, because you're going to do it. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is what they did. What he's exposing is not what they did, but why they did it. And he's saying, when you give to the need, when you do this thing that everybody does, which is a great deed, some of you are doing it for the praise of man. And that's what he's exposing, especially the religious leaders. And so we ought to give First and foremost, to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When you see a needy brother and sister in Christ, we ought to be giving. We ought to be giving, but not for our own praise. We give because it is part of who Jesus makes us into as generous people. Right? So while generous giving is honorable, our giving should be motivated by a singular desire to praise and worship God. This hyperbolic phrase blowing your trumpet, I, I don't think people really did this. Okay, I think that'd be pretty crazy. That, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Could you imagine a Jewish Pharisee giving to someone? They give to the poor, they pull out a trumpet out of their backpack, and they're like, doo -doo 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 -doo, you know, look at me. I mean, first of all, this is a Middle Eastern culture. Uh, I, I don't know if, if, if this is very honorable. It's kind of shameful. So Jesus is making a point. A point that you and I understand today, we say tooting our own horn. Have, have you guys heard that phrase? When someone toots their own horn, it's the same thing, right? It's basically when you're, when you're talking yourself up. You could even be speaking self, uh, you know, self-deprecately about yourself, right? You could be self-deprecating about yourself, but you're still trying to make yourself feel good. You're trying to make yourself look good. That's what Jesus is saying. It, and, and so it gets at the heart of our society today. Look at the good I've done for others. Let me take a picture of this. Let me, let me go on a mission trip and take a picture of it. Go ahead and take pictures during missions. That's fine. But you know what I'm saying, right? Look at me with these poor children. This will be great for my Instagram. My pastor is going to like this. I will love it. I will love it. But I don't know your intentions. I don't know your motivations, right? So I'm going to love it. But God sees our motivation. God sees our intentions. Are we more concerned about getting that photo or more concerned about just going out there and doing God's work? Because it is who we are, no matter, no matter who sees it. It doesn't matter if people see it or not. right? God sees everything. 
Now, even though Jesus gives us examples of giving to the poor, I want you to think seriously about why we serve God. Why do we serve God at all in the first place? Why do we do anything? I want you to think about why we give offering. Now, don't get me wrong. We need your offering. Unapologetically, churches run on the generosity of people. Now, now let me make some clarifications because you're going to see that Jesus talks about giving in secret. Right? He talks about giving in secret. Now, this does not mean that you shouldn't give with a check. Right? When you give a, an, an e-offering, it links to your account. So that's not really secret. Our treasury knows because they have to give an accounting for you. Right? When you write a check, it has your name on it. Uh, that's, Jesus is not saying don't write a check. Otherwise, all of you are coming in like heavy cash giving, right? Give cash only, cash only. Now, that's going to be rough sometimes for our treasury. They're like counting cash back there. And then, and, then, and then when they bring that thing to the bank to deposit, I mean, they're going to need a security guard. Okay, so please, please don't, don't you all start just giving private, you know, cash giving now, though that's acceptable as well. So this is not saying that you can't make a donation in someone's name. You know, sometimes you go to the, a, a memorial service and, and, and you give a donation in someone's name. Okay, or, or, or let's just say in your generosity, you want to open up a scholarship fund for underprivileged children. Now, Jesus is not saying don't do that. Okay, because you've got to open up that trust. You've got to open up that name. All right, so that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is just talking about the motivation. He's saying when you do these things, why are we doing it? Why are we giving? Why are we doing what we do? Okay, and so I want you to think about this thought right here. While others... While others recognize what you do and how you do it, everyone sees it, God recognizes why you do it. So if we want to do something for recognition, while others may recognize, meaning they're going to talk about what you did. This person did something really, really generous. This person did something that's buzzworthy. And this is how they went about it. They gave. Or they served, or they, or, or, or they, they, they went to the you know homeless in the middle of the night, and they just gave them a bunch of jackets. They're going to look at the what and the how. Jesus looks at the why. Why did you do it? Why did you do it? Right. So just think deeply about that. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see this theme of heavenly reward. Now I want to talk about this in in, in, in some level, okay? Because look at verse two. At the end of verse two. It says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And, that's, and then later it says, there will be no reward from your Father who is in heaven for those who give with the wrong motives. Now this is very clear. They've received their reward. What Jesus is saying is that if you do something just for the praise of man, you will receive your reward. Meaning people will actually praise you. If that's what you really want, to be recognized, they will recognize you. They will write about you. They will thank you. Just think about it. What if you had, like, the most selfish reason for giving to the poor? Meaning you just wanted to be recognized and praised. That poor person receiving your gift is not going to hate you for it. They're not going to be like, no, 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 your intentions are wrong. They're like, yeah, I'll take that money. Yeah, yeah, I'll take the donation. Right? They don't know your intentions. And people aren't going to be like, oh, that's, that's raw. And they're going to be like, look at what he did. Right? No one's going to check you for it. No one's going to check you for it. So that's what Jesus is saying, that you're going to get your reward. If you want to purchase recognition, praise, affirmation, you're going to get it. You'll get it, but that's all you'll get. You won't get the true reward. Now, I want you to think about this seriously. When, when Jesus says, no reward from your Father in heaven, he's not saying that you can actually be in heaven and have no reward. So there's not going to be people in heaven saying, I have no reward. I have no crown. 
I have no Jesus. First and foremost, our primary reward is Christ. And then uh, many theologians believe that there are different degrees of reward that will be given but all of those rewards will be laid at the foot of Jesus, right? There aren't going to be people walking around heaven boasting, like, look at the reward I got. Look at you. You know, because the thief on the cross wouldn't have a lot of good works. But he's going to be in heaven. Right? He's going to be in heaven. And Jesus said that he'd be in heaven. And so when you think about when we get to heaven, everybody's going to have the reward of Christ. And everyone's going to have something to offer and lay down in worship of Christ. So those who have no reward from the Heavenly Father who is in heaven has no salvation, has no Christ, will not even be in heaven. They won't be in heaven. So this is talking about salvation. And it makes sense. It totally makes sense when you think logically. Because the hypocrites are worshiping God. They're saying, look, I'm worshiping God, but they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping themselves. And the only people who will be in heaven are people who worship Jesus Christ. So if there's anybody in here today, including myself, if we're worshiping Jesus Christ, but we're really doing it for ourselves, we won't be in heaven. The only people who will be in heaven are people who worship Jesus Christ. That's logical. And for sure, for the Pharisees, if they're not truly worshiping God, they won't be in heaven. So there will be no reward from their father, only rewards on this earth, in this lifetime, from humans. All the accolades, all the legacy, it'll just die with our ashes. It will just remain here on earth. It will not go to heaven. Right? Because the legacy of heaven is Christ and what Christ does in and through us. Notice that much of Jesus' teaching involves restraint, suffering. Not just in this passage, but there's a lot of restraint. There's a lot of let's withhold receiving present pleasure and glory and recognition and affirmation. And let's wait because when you get to heaven... Jesus will reward the persecuted. Jesus will reward the poor. Jesus will, report, uh, will reward those who are poor in spirit and get, uh, get, get made fun of or put down in this world who are seen as foolish because they choose salvation in Christ over the ways of this world. So there is this inward discipline. Notice that nowhere does Jesus say suffer just because you want to suffer. Nowhere does he say, hey, withhold just for, for the sake of suffering. He doesn't say that. Right? But there is a reward. There is an aim. There is a desire. There is joy. There is something to satisfy us. There's something to pursue that is so much greater than any reward man can offer. The reward that I want, the reward that you will want, is when you go into the presence of your Father in heaven and when he looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. When he looks at you, well done, good and faithful son. Well done, good and faithful daughter. That's the affirmation we were created for in the Garden of Eden. That's the affirmation. Adam created in my image. Well done, son. Eve created in my image. Well done. But they sinned. Right? They sinned, and, and, and God promised that there would be redemption through Christ who would crush the head of the serpent and redeem us. And so we discipline ourselves to withhold from receiving human recognition now because we want to be recognized by the only person that matters, God, our creator. There is a name. There is a glory. Now I want you to look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 says, but when you give to the needy, check out this second hyperbolic example. It says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, 
so that your, that your giving may be secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So I'm reading this as a guy who wants to take the Bible literally. And I'm saying, well, my, my brain is kind of wired in some way. How, do I, how does my, my left hand not know what my right hand is doing? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a few things. One, symbolically, your right hand makes your decisions. And so he's, he's basically saying, when you give to the poor, forget about it. Don't keep record. Don't keep record. When you give to the poor, don't keep a record saying, look how righteous I am. Don't go home and say, well, God, look, I gave Monday. Now, I kind of skipped Tuesday, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I gave in 2010. I gave in 2006. Man, look, look at all the good things I've done, God. He says, when you, when you give, just forget about it. He's not saying don't keep your checkbook and record. Okay? But he's saying don't go and add up righteousness. Don't build up point, a point system. When you give, to, and don't hold it over other people. Hey, I gave to you. You owe me. I gave to the poor. You owe me now. The church owes me. They better name a building after me. So I want you to think of these things, right? That's what he means. He's saying when you make a decision with your right hand to give, don't, don't keep count. Give and forget. Give and forget. You see, there's a deceptive power that we are so often blind to that even if we don't want the praise of man, like I mentioned earlier, we go home and we feel good about ourselves. And that's the secret pride that he refers to. Notice in verse 4, he says, so that your giving may be in secret. Again, he's not saying don't write a check, right? He's saying don't do it for the praise of man. And he says your father who sees it in secret will reward you, meaning no one else knows your motivation, but God sees it. Here's what John Stott says. John Stott writes, quote, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice, self-forgetfulness, I love that, and not self-congratulation, end quote. But I love that one phrase, self-forgetfulness. Christian giving is to be marked by self-forgetfulness. Because when you stop keeping count of your generosity, then you've become a generous person. Why do you give? I don't know. It's just part of my it's part of what I do. Yeah, sure. I keep some records because when it's time for taxes, I need some record each year for my accountants. But I don't know. Right? I don't know. It's just Jesus has captured my heart and you know, I have these resources and I just feel like it's time to give my time, my my, my, my treasure. And so that's what Jesus wants of us. Your father who sees in, sees in secret will reward you. John Calvin wrote, quote, We ought to be satisfied with having God for our only witness, end quote. What matters is that God sees it. Beloved, if you'll allow me to give you a New Testament example today of how seriously Jesus takes this principle. And I want you to see this exact principle of giving money just to be recognized, but not being honest in intention and motive. And I want you to see how seriously God takes the sin here, even if what we see in this passage is not the normative practice. And the passage I'm referring to is Acts chapter 5. You can turn there. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, there is a 
to give you a summary, there's a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira, and they wanted to be recognized for selling their property. And here's what they want to be recognized for, that they gave 100% of the proceeds of the sale to the early church. During that time in Acts chapter 4, people were selling their property and giving to the church. And Ananias wanted, Ananias and Sapphira came up with a plan where they, they're like, we just want people to know that we gave everything. But in reality, what happened is they, they went and they brought their offering and they laid their offering at the foot of the apostles. And they said, here it is. Here's everything. But in their hearts, they knew that they kept some of it for themselves. So they were lying. And so the apostles asked Ananias. So, they, so the husband and wife, they come at separate times. So Ananias rolls in first. The apostles are asking, Ananias, is this everything? And I said, yeah, that's everything. That's 100% of the sale. And something happens that doesn't happen today. I mean, God just struck him dead. He just fell. He just died. I don't know what, what type of virus that is, but it's not from corona. It just, he just dropped dead. Dropped dead right there. His wife doesn't know. She comes three hours later. I mean, maybe she's still, like, getting ready and stuff. She rolls in three hours later. She's late to the ball game. And so they ask her. She doesn't know what happened to her husband. And the, and the apostles ask her, hey, is this everything? You gave everything? She probably rolled in there like, I'm, I'm here to get my praise now. I'm here to get my recognition. I'm going to get that plaque on the wall named after me. I'm, I'm going to get that building named after me. She drops dead because she lied. What happened? It's, I want you to see that the sin is not that they held back something. The sin is not that they didn't give 100%. If you have your Bibles open, you'll notice Acts chapter 5, verse 4, very clearly, that the apostle said, while it remained unsold, did, it remain, did, did not it remain your own? Meaning, who forced you to sell it? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we ought to or must sell our property. No, nowhere does it say that. And then in verse 4, it says, After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Meaning, you are completely free to give 1%, 10%, or 100%. Now, I want you to think of this in today's market. If any of you sold your house and gave even 1% of the proceeds, let alone 10%. I mean, that would be super generous, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it? So nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to give 100%. The sin and why they straight drop dead is not because they held back something. It's because they lied about it. It's because they said, look, we gave 100% because we want to be recognized. And God knew, that, knew their motive. Now, why did Jesus just strike them dead? This is not the normative practice today. There's all types of abuses today. Right? You see in the news all kinds of embezzlement in the name of Jesus Christ. You see the church corrupt, people embezzling money and stealing things. You see this throughout the church. You read about it in the news, but people aren't dropping dead. I think there's a reason is because this is the very early church. This is the baby church. This is the church in infant stages. And Jesus was very concerned that the early church sent a message that Jesus cared about the purity of his bride and the purity of the early church. In fact, Jesus is contrasting the purity and the intention and the motivation for why his church does things in contrast to the corruption that you see throughout Matthew of the Jewish temple system. Because the temple of God's different. The temple in the Old Testament was an external system. It was an external system 
where you would go to a place and you would go through a religious system and you would go through the priest and you would purchase an animal and the people who had more money bought a better animal and, and, and it was corruptible. But the temple in the New Testament is in the heart of man. Paul tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells now in the heart and God can see the heart and the heart cannot be corrupted if the spirit is working and operating and sanctifying. And so when, when Jesus sees a rotten heart, and when he, says, when he sees worship offered through a corrupt temple, where the Spirit ought to be operating, he says that cannot be. Now, God doesn't strike people dead, but I think what we learn from Ananias and Sapphira today is that there's clearly dead, people are spiritually dead, and people are spiritually living. And the true believer will not do this will not come and lie. So when you see this in society, these are false Christians, unregenerate people who don't have the Holy Spirit sanctifying them, holding back their conscience, battling against that selfish flesh that creeps in. This is how serious Jesus' teaching is. So here's the big idea this morning, is that Christ won the praise of many by seeking the, the praise of one, his heavenly Father. Christ won the praise of many by seeking the praise of one, his heavenly Father. Ironically, Jesus was not after the praise of man, and he receives our praise. Why? Because he was singularly focused on pleasing the will of his Father, accomplishing what was not popular. I want you to think of Jesus. I entitled this morning's message, Paying for Human Praise. There is someone else who paid for human praise and not with money. There's someone else who already was entitled to the praise of every single human being. There was one, we call him the Son of God, the second member of the Triune Godhead. Everything belonged to him. He did not have to come and pay for anything. He could have demanded it and commanded it. Heck, he struck people dead. This is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But he saw that there was a problem. He looked down at his creation. He saw that the system that was supposed to save his people was broken. The temple system was broken. People were not being saved. The worship and temple worship was being corrupted. And he says, you know what? Someone has to pay for human praise. And he wanted pure praise, not false praise. He, want, he didn't want people just to give the accolades and, and the earthly stuff. He wanted eternal praise. And he says, I will come down. Father, I will go down and I will pay a different type of price. I will pay the penalty for the sin of man. I will be rejected rather than recognized by my family initially. I will be rejected by my own people, the Israelites, rather than accepted and recognized as their Messiah. Even though I'm the rightful king of Israel, I will not be recognized and praised. I will be rejected. I will be mocked. I will be ashamed. I will go to that cross and I will pay for rightful, true human praise of all of my people who will come to me and receive salvation through repentance in Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus truly paid the price. Right? He's the king of Israel. And that's the point of Matthew. The king of Israel comes in a very different way. And so we who worship him now, yes, there is divine sovereignty where it's by his grace alone. But we who worship him, it's not because he paid us. It's because he won our hearts. He won our hearts because he did something so virtuous and so noble that no man could deny 
the weight and the glory of his sacrifice. And that's why in the cross alone we glory. Because the cross is the heaviest payment. In the cross, Christ paid for human sin and he rescued us from the slavery that causes us to serve ourselves. In the cross, he rescued this, this ugly slavery and deception where you have the Israelites being rescued from Egypt and then they face adversity for a moment and they're begging Moses, what have you done? Take us back into slavery. We'd rather go back and be slaves. We'd rather be beaten, abused, and marginalized. We'd rather be slaves than to be out here and have to live by faith in the wilderness. That's what we see. That a lot of people, they're, they're, even if you're positionally saved, you still have the slavish heart. The law is powerless to rescue you from that slavery. Only Christ can pay the ransom to gain the true worship. All worship is corruptible unless saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's the point he's building up to in all of Matthew. And so Jesus won the praise of every believer because his goal was never to please us. And because of that, he is our Savior King. In today's passage, I want you to go home and I want, I want you to ask the serious question, what motivates you and who motivates you? Who motivates you and what motivates you? And it should be no other person and no other work than Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection. Ask the Lord to search your heart. When was the last time you said something, posted something, or did something just to be noticed, recognized, praised, affirmed, or appreciated by people? I do it a lot. I do it a lot. I roll into my supervisor's office, and these are good intentions, and I want to please him. You know, I, so, so I'll use some type of language or, or I'll, I'll say, hey, look, look what I've done. You know, I'll, I'll roll out to my team and be like, hey, look, here, here's the plan. Look, look at, I, I, and I'll say something. I hacked this out at 2 a.m. last night. <laughs> I want them to see the tenacity, the work ethic. Right? I, I mean, we all do it. And so this passage was so convicting for me as well. So again, go home and ask yourself. And if you log on to our Wi-Fi, the study questions are on the study guide just for today's study guide entry. But when was the last time you said or did something to be noticed, recognized, praised, affirmed, appreciated by your spouse, by your kids? When was the last time you wanted to do something just so that the people can tell you, well done, good and faithful servant? Beloved, I put before you today that the most important praise and the most important affirmation that we want is the Lord telling us, well done, good and faithful son. And that highest praise was first bestowed upon Christ when God the Father looked upon his son and said, well done, good and faithful son. Let's pray. Father, you won the praise of many, so many of us, by seeking the praise of one. Your son did that, Lord, by seeking the praise of you honoring you. Help us, Lord, in what we do to have the right intention and motivation. Help us, Lord, not to do this out of fear or legalism because we know that that does not save. Help us to do this out of love. Help us to grow in love for you and love for Jesus so that our love for others would be pure and undefiled. Help us, Lord, to look to you as, the, as, as our aim, our motivation, our drive, Lord. Give us the mentality of Christ 
the only mentality that crushes the head of the serpents. Give us that mentality, Lord, that we would learn and be okay with bearing our cross today, knowing that we share in your sufferings, not getting the applause of man, but only, Lord, to serve an audience of one. Father, may heaven be our aim. Help us to worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.